1: It's the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Always good to be here in our Bush Stadium studios. Joe Pfeiffer, our Director of Alumni Relations, if you're watching on YouTube, Larry State. He's our Manager of Alumni Relations. I'm Brett McMillan. And uh, we were on the mound last month with Al Raboski. We stay on the mound this month with another former Cardinal pitcher, uh, St. Louis and Kyle McClellan. Kyle, thanks for sitting down, taking some time. This is a lot of fun. And uh, i got to say... While Al's tough, I wouldn't want to cross him. You look like you could still play. (laughs) Al is a little past that
2: point in his career. I say looks are deceiving. (laughs) It would it it would hurt quite a bit to go out there. Joe, these guys have seen me at fantasy camp. It doesn't come out like it used to, but yeah, he's in great shape. It hasn't impacted his swing though. Thank you. Sarcasm. That yeah. wouldn't be pro- <laughs> Joe, that wouldn't be a,
1: wouldn't be a problem <laughs> yeah, anymore. You. Yeah, you wouldn't have to worry about it. Right? That. Exactly, Joe. That <laughs> well, depends on your manager. We could right. still roll out there to the field and serve up probably ten BP fastballs, yeah. and uh, I bet you, me wouldn't. and you, go at it. Let's You'd do say, it. I'm, a, I'm in. in. How many do you in. think you could hit out if we if we got somebody out there and threw you? I mean, right down center, center. Out of ten? Yeah. I don't know. I get a couple out. I ask Ozzy that sometimes because he still looks, even though he's. Mid 60s, he looks He's like incredible. he could play too. I mean, the his athleticism. Hands. I've seen him game. do those yeah. some of those he, clinics he does is in,
2: yeah. his field work is his hand work and is still unbelievable. And he had yeah. that uh,
3: shoulder surgery yep. way post career, mm-hmm.
2: so he can still make that throw from mm-hmm. deep
3: short, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your mid 60s, still making that throw from deep short. Yep. But you think about the end of his career, a lot of people don't even realize how long he played yep. with that shoulder injury. Um, you know, at that that time. It was risky. He didn't know what your recovery was going to be like from that surgery, so he didn't want to take that chance. So you saw him throw on the run a lot more uh, in that part of his career than early. He had a cannon early mm-hmm. in his
2: career. Yeah, he, he's fun to watch in those corporate clinics and stuff that he does and fantasy camp, the things he puts on. He, he's he got his little stick and routine that he uh, he's mastered it. It's incredible. But it's 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 still very – I know the current guys love watching it too because there's still so much they can take away from – You know, it's one thing to talk about it. I used to do this. It's another thing to still be able to show them, you know, I used to do this and here I can still do it. It goes a long way.
1: What's that like for you? You know, it's neat for all of us when we go to fantasy camp or we come down here and there's, oh, my gosh, it's Ozzy Smith or it's Ted Simmons or whatever. You played, so it's a little bit different, but you're a St. Louis guy. Mm -hmm. Like you were a Cardinal fan long before you were a Cardinal player. Freezer was saying to us uh, for TV at Fantasy Camp that that was his first like oh wow moment was playing catch with Ozzy Smith. Yeah. What was yeah. your first oh wow moment as a player?
2: Uh, it, so it was definitely my first minor league camp. So it was 2003, and um, I went down early and rented a hotel just because I was, it was like my first spring. I wanted to kind of get acclimated and um, and so I went down there and I just walk over and you know i'm like i'm here i don't know where to go well in spring training like the major league and minor league locker room are in the same building you know different there's a, a very distinct hallway that as you learn um you don't cross a t in that hallway very often or if ever then um, you come in a back door you don't come in the front door there's a lot of different um, you know things that come with being in big league camp and so i'm, I'm in there and I, I don't know this yet and so i just walk in the weight room and i walk in there and there's like jim Edmonds. Um, Scott Rowland, Tino Martinez, all on a on a treadmill running, and they're, I like look around. It's all these guys, and I'm like, holy cow, you know, like, and I haven't had that exposure to. I guess that was probably my first like personal interaction with a big leaguer, you know, really at that point. And so it was just like, oh my gosh, like there's and they're just walking around everybody, and you know, and they're kind of looking at me, and you know, nobody kicked me out, so I just like kind of hung out a little bit, you know, I <laughs> totally shouldn't have been in there, but, um, and I remember going going home and uh, and call my parents and be like i saw this person in the weight room and i rode the elevator with this person i did this and i this person said hi to me and um and then you you start to you know as you get more around it it becomes more normalized and um in in 2000 probably 2000 after that 2003 season uh pop warner who's the third base coach now was um uh my manager and he reached out to me and said, hey, there's some guys here in St. Louis that, that all work out out at Maryville University in the offseason, and um, you're welcome to come over and take part of that. And so I went over there, and it was Ryan Howard who just won uh, MVP, uh, Minor League or minor league Player of the Year, um, John Mabry, uh, Albert Pujols, Mike Matheny, Kerry Robinson, Bennis uh, would, would pop in every once in a while, Cal Eldridge would pop in every once in a while. You know, it was just... It was uh anybody that was in town would go there and throw and so i would go play catch with them and then i'd just watch them hit and i'd sit around i'd sit behind them and just kind of sit there and take it in and watch and then you got to know the guys a little bit and then you'd see them in camp and the, i thought i was super cool because they'd be like hey you know they'd point me out you know and in front of all my minor league friends you know i felt good about it but um then you start to become a little bit normalized and and then there's a you walk into that big league clubhouse for the first time um and i was a a, a 40-man invite not on the team, but I remember thinking to myself, like, you have to assume you belong here. Um, don't get starstruck. Don't get caught up in it. Like you, you belong here with these guys as weird as it is. Um, try to act like, and, and put on this face and this, this uh, perception of like, I'm here because I deserve to be here in the
1: same locker room with these guys. And that, that was a, that's not an easy thing to do. You kind of got to put an act on for sure you can tell I mean you can see the guys that are that are roster invites that are part of the 40 man even now the guys that are trying to get in that mindset of okay I'm here because I'm trying to make this ball club and the guys that are still going oh my gosh yeah. it's player X and player yeah. y and it's natural but I'm sure it is difficult it's
2: and it's a fine line too of you, you got to play your role and and know your know your spot you know um, but also soak up as much as you can take it all in because uh, you don't know how long you're gonna be there and um, and and then the part of like, I, I'm trying to give off this this vibe that like I I'm comfortable here in terms of like I know I can play here. You know, I know I can be in this locker room. And um, so it's a it's a tricky man. Those rookies, they got a they got a tough line to walk. And I think that line was a little more drawn in the sand, probably 10, 15, 20 years ago than it is now. Um, you, you know, I see some of these things now that guys are doing and getting away with. And um, that would have never been the case 15, 20 years ago when Carp was there, especially. <laughs> um but, uh, you know, it's a little different right now in, in, the, in the game and in the clubhouse. But, you know, there's still that, that fine line and that respect. I think that's more than anything is coming in there with a respectful attitude.
3: We're not that far removed from opening day. What was your first opening day like here at Bush? Um, well, it was a rainout.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: It was uh, 2008. It was a bueno started it and got rained out a couple innings into it, but we got to go through all the ceremony and do everything and then played maybe two innings and then got rained out. And came back the next day Um, so officially i made my debut on opening day even though it was a day later um, than all the festivities and that but you know for me um i'll never forget driving in that day i called um, a couple different people in the organization um, that had an impact on my career um, that believed in me that stood up for me i know for a fact that my name was on the chopping block uh two or three different times two or three different years and there's individuals that stood up for me and and said hey i think we need to give them another chance and so um you know i wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for those people that that took that chance on me and took my name off that off that whiteboard that uh they had all the names on and would cover up so nobody would see it and they'd pull it off for the for the <laughs> coaches meetings and um so I, I made a few phone calls that day on the way in i just wanted to let those people know like i'm driving uh, down to Busch Stadium for opening day. And uh, I just want to thank you for what you've done in my career and um, believing in me and, and allowing me to get to here. Because if you look back at my career, uh, you would be shocked that I made it to the big leagues if you looked at my minor league stats. Um, and so it wasn't by pure performance. It was by, you know, people saw something in me, and it took me a while to get to that point to where I could actually um, do what they thought I could do. And... Um, And it it took people believing in me for a while. So I think more than anything, like, that day was just a, like, man, I made it. Um, Dr. Paletta, who did two surgeries on me uh, to allow me to continue to play, you know, I saw him after I came in um, when I had my appearance that day. And I walk in the the training room, and he's in there, and he's like, I'm kind of, you know, still – glassed over trying to figure out what happened. You know, I kind of walk in I had a good outing and I kind of like floating on, on air. And he's like, you're not going to say anything. I was like, thanks, doc. I appreciate it. You know, Thanks for saving <laughs> me a couple of times. Uh, but just so many people that go into And that's what you think about, you know, my parents were there. All my friends and family were there. Um, the sacrifice my parents made to, you know, cart me around all these games and paying for lessons and paying for gear and equipment and giving up their weekends and, you know, so that I could play and, um, you know, family that supported you, friends that supported you, uh, coaches along the way. Like, it's just – anytime I see a kid make his major league debut, I just – I always think about the the army of people that are celebrating that as well, you know, because it's such a cool thing um, for everybody involved. And, um, you know, and then to ride in that car. I've been – my dad had season tickets, so we'd – shoot, I've been – you know, he'd take me out of school. We'd come down to a bunch of opening days as a fan. And then to be in that car – uh, on the receiving end, and the St. Louis fans get—they got it. They knew the story, St. Louis kid, and so, you know, so many people shouting at you and yelling at you, and faces you recognized uh, while you're going around there was, was pretty special. And then all the Hall of Famers, you know, to, to get to shake their hand as a, um, not an equal, obviously, but as as like somebody that wore the same uniform mm-hmm. is. Uh, is totally different than any other experience of meeting them as a minor league kid you know there's just a, a i feel like there's a different respect when yeah. hey you're on the field here opening day um you know this is a big day. anytime you make a roster opening day is great but here in st louis it's uh it's ex- extremely special well in 2008
3: larry was actually with our cardinals magazine on the yeah. publication side so we yeah. had a special and you connect- know
2: yeah
0: a lot of what you just said i <clears throat> i was saying this to joe the other day i can't even really repeat it without choking up, talking to your dad mm-hmm. shortly after that. And he kinda said just what you did. I mean, when, like when you're going around the morning trick, do you know where they're sitting? Were you looking to make
2: no? I, I had, with had No, them? idea. I didn't. The uh, family section, I didn't know where that was yet. But uh, <laughs> uh, you a
0: to him later because you're, I remember your your talking talking of you out out of that gate, and the first thing he thought of was all those people who coached you, Yeah. the the sacrifices, everybody, and, and your dad said and he just lost it yeah, that yeah, yeah. You came out yeah Yeah.
2: I mean, yeah, and that's, you know, to be able to to experience here in St. Louis. So, I mean, you know, if I played for the Seattle Mariners and got to make <clears throat> my major league debut at, at home at, at, in Seattle, it still would have been great. But here it just, I mean, you know, you couldn't ask for anything more than um, to have that experience and then them get to be here and then have that such a deep connection to the organization, the, the you know, the city, the stadium, everything that goes into it. It was is definitely – And then to be able to pitch that, you know, have my Major League debut be on opening day, Matt Holiday was my first hitter. I almost hit him in the head, got a standing ovation, but (laughs) we can get to that later.
1: (laughs) Does he remember that?
2: that When we traded for him, we went in the video room and we, uh, because then I threw a real good slider and then I got him out, and so I made a point that, you know, you're my first hitter, and I got you out. And he's like, I remember that. You th- almost hit me, and then a nasty cutter away, and then... So you're suggesting it was better for Matt's career that he came over to the car. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I had right. his I had his number. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, would have kept his numbers tamped down.
1: You mentioned that uh, <laughs> that Waino was the starter that day, assuming yep. he threw to Yachty, and it's so crazy because here we are however many years yep. later, and Yachty and Waino are still going out there as the battery. I mean, you have a real unique perspective as a fan, you know, and... 405 when those guys were breaking in, you were still paying attention to the Cardinals even though you were kind of at that point where you were in the system. Now you get to watch them as a fan on the backside. You shared a clubhouse with them. Mm-hmm. I feel like we all have talked ad nauseum about how great these guys are and they deserve it, but just give me your two cents on that of what you've seen from the inside that we need to appreciate this final year with them together.
2: Well, I think it's worth talking about because you won't see it again. You right. know, like I... Watching Tom Brady play football, you know, I often remind myself like, w- watch the game. You know, like, even if it's you're gonna turn it off, watch it because you're you're were, we're currently watching history that any minute now is gonna be taken away. Um, <clears throat> and there, there's very few players I think you can say that about, but this duo here is one of those. You know, anytime they pitch together, soak it up, enjoy it because they're gonna be gone soon, and there's gonna be a massive void. In the organization, in that clubhouse, and on that field, from a fan standpoint, that it, you just can't replace that. Um, and and so for me, Adams one of the most influential people probably in my life, um, personal baseball, everything like just one of my um, really really good friends that that um, has really challenged me in a lot of great ways, and I, I think helped mold and shape me um, quite a bit. And Yachty, I mean, I I feel like a lot of his accolades and awards, especially defensively, I. I was a big part of, you know, like I helped him get all those gold gloves. A lot of I'd, breaking I, balls yeah, dirt. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of runners <laughs> I got on base to allow him to throw out. Right. Um, yeah. You know, but Yachty was a guy that for me coming up, I, I tell people all the time, I don't think any other situation I would have been in, I would have came up, in my minor league career, I spent most of my time in A ball and, and rehab, um, physical rehab, and then went double A for two months, skipped triple A, and made the major league roster. I don't think any other situation I would have been in that I could have come in and never been sent back down to the minor leagues and stayed five consecutive years here in St. Louis if it wasn't for Yachty. Yachty took all of the thinking out for me. So now not that it wasn't hard because he would force me and challenge me to do things that maybe I wasn't quite ready to do, but I had to figure out how to do it real quick because he was gonna challenge it and he was gonna he was gonna make me throw first pitch curveballs that wasn't my strength. Um, He was going to make me throw, you know, fastballs and counts that I didn't really want to or spots of the plate that wasn't really my strength. And he expected me to be able to do that. And for me as a young player, I'm going, if I want to stay here, i got to figure out how to do that, you know. Um, But I didn't have to go out there and think about what's the best way. He studied me. He knew me. He knew my stuff. He knew the hitters. He knew the situations. And he knew exactly what pitches to call in what situation. And for me, that allowed me to have a successful career because I didn't have to try to do all the other stuff with it. All I had to do was execute what he wanted me to do. Not that that's easy, but it took a huge load off of my plate of trying to do all these other things. Now, I watch film. You know, I had to get on the same page as him, and there was a few learning lessons that went with that. Um, Gary Sheffield, this is probably one that sticks out the most. We're in Detroit, um, and and I've – I, I was I was down that day, so I pitched a bunch, and I was going through a rough patch. It was my rookie year, and um, and I hadn't had a full season in a while, and so I was just kind of like, there's just a lot of things going on, and and so Tony's like, you're down today. Well, we end up like the 16th inning, so the phone rings, and Mac, you got the 17th or whatever it was, and so I come in, Miguel Cabrera, I contributed to his 3,000 hits, I gave up a double. <laughs> um, it's a good way to put it. Yeah, and then and then mm-hmm. Sheffield comes up, and I fall behind 3-0. And Yachty calls a fastball in and I shake. And he calls a fastball in and I'm like, oh gosh. Like all I can think about is Gary Sheffield, like his his bat wiggle. It's like he's gonna, this he's gonna hit he's gonna hit this thing seven thousand feet and I'm gonna walk off. And so I throw a fastball in, strike, takes it. next pitch, fastball in, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I throw it and he takes it. Strike two. And so next pitch, fastball in, and I'm like, no. And he puts it down again i'm like no and he kind of like slumps down calls slider away and i throw it and he hits a double off the wall and we lose the game and so i go in i go in the tunnel and i'm like i think i'm getting sent down because i'm i've had a rough stretch i just shook off yachty i just lost the game like there's nothing worse I i can't i can't express to you enough there's nothing worse than losing a game as a reliever, like to walk off and and to feel, I always took that so hard. That night it was miserable. The next day I was miserable. When I walked into the field, I just and I know it wasn't the case, but I felt like everybody was looking at me when I walked in the locker room. And they're like, "There's the guy that blew it last night." I was miserable. I was miserable during batting practice. I tried to, you know, cover it up and and be a good teammate, and I I carried that until the first pitch of the next game. That was the f- only time I could allow it to go away because I was like, okay, now I have a chance to. To come back and do something again today but it is the most miserable 21 hours that you can ever experience and so i'm in the tunnel i'm mad you know these guys just fought 17 innings or whatever it was and here i come in for four minutes and blow the game and just waste everybody's efforts you know and um and so i go up and russ springer grabs me and he says come here he said let's go to the video room and he walks me through and i didn't at the time realize that he was willing, he was sitting on one pitch. He was sitting on one location. He knew I liked my cutter. He knew I was going to throw it away. And he was willing to strike out on three straight fastballs inside to wait for that pitch away. And he took the entire at bat to wait for that one pitch runner on second, nobody out. If he struck out, there were still two more guys. I didn't, I was so far from seeing that. And so Russ walked me through that who had 16, 17 years of experience. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay, I learned, learn a valuable lesson there. So a couple of weeks later, we're in, in Pittsburgh. I shake him. We lose another game, and Yadi comes in. He throws his glove in the locker and he says, "Never again. You will never shake me again." And I said, "I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally fine with that." So what I learned at that point is, look, I'm I'm in. Every time I'm pitching a game, it's a it's a it's a big moment. My rookie year, like I was pitching those seven eight innings, you know, seventh eight innings in tight games, and so one mistake, one not being on the right page with with Yadi could cost us the game. And so at that point I would call timeout. Anytime I wasn't sure I call timeout, he'd come out, i go in and he'd say, what are you thinking? And if I explained myself and what I was thinking, nine out of 10 times, he'd say, let's go with that. But he wanted to see, and I had to earn his, his um, not respect, but like earn his um, trust that I knew what I was doing. I had a plan for what I was doing and then he would allow me to do it. But we, you know, we got to the point where hey, we didn't even need signs. Like we just knew, like I would just randomly be like, I, I want to throw something totally opposite, and Yachty would like throw it down. I'm like, that is so weird. You know, I, I was thinking, hey, let's take a shot here. Um, but he reads the hitter so well. He studies, he preps, and, and he knows me. Like he knew what would make me successful. Totally different than Jason Mott. You know, he treated Jason Mott totally different and called totally different game for him because we had totally different um, – you know pitches and inability to do things and um so that's what is unique about it there, there's a i won't give a name but another catcher that i came in contact with throughout the um organiz- or uh through baseball and i told him i said hey this is typically what i do you know if i throw a cutter in the only way i'm going to get beat is if a lefty pulls it right down the line so if i throw a cutter in can you move the move the first baseman you know like yadi would always move the first baseman for me and he goes you better talk to the bench coach. i don't do all that <laughs> and i was like oh okay like, Yachty would stand on his head if, if he told him to. Like, if it if it helped you do something, he would do it. There's not a lot of guys in the game that would that would do that. And um, so I really, really appreciated Yachty and his um, – just the effort he puts into it day in and day out. In the sixth inning of a 14-2 game against a last-place team, he's treating it like game seven of the World Series. And uh, that's all I can ask for, you know, as a, as a teammate. It's
3: amazing you hear other – your teammates talk about him and the guys on the roster now talk about him. And it's those intangibles. Yeah. Um, you know, he's two thousand plus hits. Mm-hmm. What? Nine, eight, Which, nine, when he first came in, nobody, nobody would ever, ever guess that that, that would happen. The, the massive number of gold and platinum gloves, yep. but it's those intangibles yep. that put him over the top. Yeah, and and, and, and that's going to be interesting. Yep. five years from now, when the national sports writers look at him, they don't look at those intangibles. That and and, and you know that that concerns me at some level. Uh, I, I mean, he'll he'll be fine yeah. in the end. But it, it's just those intangibles. When we're just looking at numbers, um, and an I, I think
2: I think when you get to the Hall of Fame, and that it frustrates me, but the voting, like he's the most dominant player at his position Ever. in two decades. Yeah. Um, then I mean you can put him out there with anybody. So anybody. I mean, why, why don't we? Let's just put him in. I right. mean, why are we? Why would we wait and do the whole like the first ballot thing? It just doesn't matter. He's clearly the most dominant player at his position for two decades. He deserves to go in, right? I
1: I think the thing to me is that you won't hear a guy past or present that's played with or against him that undersells him. His name comes up, and they give an answer just like you gave that makes the rest of us who never played Major League Baseball go, whoa, mind blown, you know? And I guess some of that could be to be polite, but it just seems so genuine. So uh, you look at – I mean,
2: Yachty shuts the running game down when the plane lands for the other team, right? I mean, they come in, they're like, well – we're not going to run.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, look at the look at the World Series in 2011. The Rangers ran quite a bit that year. They did. They tried it like once, maybe twice, and he threw him out. You know, so it. You just you start to look at how many attempts against him in his prime. There was next next to minimal none. I mean, it was right. like, and if it was, it was a guy that was like trying to you know put that feather in his cap, and it was like the guy in the league that you know it was just a it was a battle, and um, hey, he just shut he just shut those games that you talk to any. Um, any other manager, any first base coach or something, and you talk to them about coming in here and, and wanting to try to steal bases, like what was your game plan? And I was a guarantee, it was like we got to go base to base. And and I Cheo always got mad at me, but I would it would give me the ability to take a little longer to get to home because I knew people weren't going to steal. So instead of being one two, you know, from to the plate, Maybe I could stretch that to one three and kind of get a little bit more momentum. And Cheo never liked it, and I, we talked about it before, because um, he wanted me to get rid of it as quick as I could to give Yadi. But Yadi could make up for that, you know. So it helped me, you know, by a, a tenth of a second to give me a little bit more time to get, you know, ramped up, and I didn't have to rush so much. Um, and I was a slower guy to the plate anyway, so it it really helped knowing that they weren't going to run all over me. You know, you have a guy back there that can't throw; it would have been running like crazy on me. Um, so he helped in so many different ways. And I think, Cheo, you ask Yachty who the most influential player, uh, coach in his career was, and it's, I would guarantee you it would be Cheo. I mean, him, Albert, and Yachty, those years here, they played a whole different game. The three of them played their own game, and then the rest of us were playing in a separate game because they were – Cheo taught Albert and Yachty a ton about – how to watch a game. And you sit there and watch a game with those guys. It's they watch it at a different level. Uh, you could be watching the same game, but they're they're playing a different they're playing chess and everybody else is playing checkers for sure. Yeah.
0: And what was it like with Albert? I mean, it's different because Yachty, you're working with him when you're teaching. But just to see how Albert was going about it every day when he was here.
2: So, you know, Albert being a superstar is tough because like for me, me and Mike Matheny talked about this one time. I could walk in and you know, be joking around and do whatever and kind of lock it in for my little role of being in the bullpen. Albert, when he woke up that day and when he drove to the field, like he had to have a different presence about him because of all the stuff he had to deal with all the time. Mm -hmm. He couldn't go get milk at the grocery store without getting 17 people wanting to talk to him. You know what I mean? The
3: gas tank was a
2: chore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so everywhere he went, and that's what people don't realize – like over time you just you just kind of like retreat and you just kind of just want to do your own thing and so albert was pretty quiet for the most part you know he'd come in he'd do his thing there was days where he was excited and you'd know it you know he um he was feeling good but man like the preparation that he had to go through to be a superstar is unlike anything that i've ever seen and and i would say of anybody i've ever played with i don't think anybody's on that like yadi's I would say Yachty's a superstar, but not, like, you know, well, and, and you'll, no disrespect, you'll talk obviously. To your but like,
3: I mean, you'll look back on that era of being his teammate, and you play – I mean, it's yeah. Hank Aaron, Willie yeah. Mays, and him right. as far as
2: right-handed hitters, yeah. right? I mean, think about it. It's yeah, and 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 I'll also mention Yachty and Chris Carpenter and Adam Wainwright, sure. you know, but I feel yeah. like that, like, Albert had to deal with so much more because he was uh, just, I mean, you know, the face of MLB, right. you know, for many years. And, and I think the pressure that went with that, like – um you know he and, and tony understood it too albert didn't sit on home games if if he got a day off it was on the road and i think it was because tony and albert both understood that like there's there's somebody in that stadium that saved up their money and came to one game a year mm-hmm. and it would and they drove who knows how long and got a hotel or did whatever because they wanted to see albert Pujols, and both of them understood the magnitude of that and i bet you if you went back and looked at healthy days off in St. Louis, I bet you there's hardly any, um, because he wanted to play here. He wanted to play for the fans. He he understood his. I never had to deal with that, you know. Like nobody had to do, but that's what he was going through every day. And so he his preparation, man, to be able to mentally handle that, and then be. I I, I was talking to a girl the other day um that, that was hitting some softballs, and she doesn't like to hit off the tee. I said, you yeah, know how many balls I've seen Albert Pools hit off a tee? I've seen him hit 17 million baseballs off a tee because he would just, man, he would just go in there and tee work and tee work and tee work, yeah. and tee work and tee work and hit in the cage for hours before he went on the field to do it. And, you know, something I will never forget, it was in 2005, the
0: last year of the old stadium. We had won 100 games, won the division, best record in the league. All the nostalgia all year long about final season of Old Bush Stadium. We won the game that last day. You know, couldn't we we're gonna have a couple of days off before the postseason began? Couldn't be better. All the former players that came back and were on the field for this huge ceremony down in the tunnel underneath after the game, walking around down there, all the current members of the team were just soaking that all in from red Chaney's to everybody who came back. I'm just I'm walking through there taking that in myself. Albert was hitting mm-hmm. off a tee. Yeah, everybody else getting autographs from the Hall of Famers mm-hmm. from everybody else. And Albert's hitting the ball off the tee by himself.
2: Yeah, and and that's just his. I mean that he his work ethic, and and look, when you're talking about a franchise player, you want your franchise player to also be your hardest worker. Um, that way, you're setting the tone for everybody else. And and we had that. And Chris Carpenter and Adam and uh, and mm-hmm. and Albert Pools, mm-hmm. from my time here, our best two players on our team were our hardest workers, without a doubt. And so you're sitting there as a young player, and you're like, well. I guess I should go hit, <laughs> you know, like I'm not going to sit in here and do and play on my phone. Like I, right. these guys are out there working and I need to go, they set that standard and, and a uh, model
3: citizen. Yeah. I mean, lead by yeah. example guy.
2: And I think, sure. I think Yachty, a lot of why Yachty is what he is today is because he was right there with Albert every mm-hmm. step of the way. Right. I mean, they were, they were buddies from day one. And and he saw that. And Yachty, Yachty gets here. He's one of the first guys here. I don't know if he still is, but I know when I was there, I'm, I'm, I would bet he is. He's watching film. At 1 o'clock in the afternoon, he's in there watching film.
1: It's kind of a running joke in spring training. I won't say the type of car, but when yeah. you show up, and we all get there earlier than some of the players, not as early as some of them, but you're there before the sun comes up. And when you roll into the lot, everybody walks in and goes, oh, yeah, the – the car is there. Well, you're, you can tell you're driving that car, Brad? No, I am oh, not. Well, no, okay. the Yadi's car is okay. there, and you you know, know that he's in the building because he's, you know where you that started. Though that
2: started with Dave Ricketts. Mike Matheny tells that story. He's like, I would try to beat him in the field, and he said I would get there before it would be dark, and I'd get there and I'd pull in, and my lights would hit, and I'd see these little shoes reflecting. He's out there walking already. He said he'd been there an hour, and he said I could never beat him to the field. And Dave Ricketts set that standard for the catchers. If we come here early, we work, we go out in the cage, and and you see those catchers go out there before the sun comes up. They're stretching. They're doing their drills. They're doing that. I would guarantee you if you ask Albert or Yachty why that is, I 100% guarantee you he would say because Dave Ricketts did it, and this is when we worked.
3: And now Scott Terry and Larry State do that model at Fantasy Yes, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just the... try to keep up with it, Scott Terry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're up yeah. before the sun rises.
1: Yep. What's that uh, What's that mean to you, Kyle, to be involved with stuff still like fantasy camp, like coming here to throw BPs? You know, it's it's one thing to get to wear the uniform, to be a St. Louis guy. But if these guys didn't do what they do, and they do a, an unparalleled job in baseball, kudos to them. But what's it mean to you to still get to be involved and put that jersey on now at this point? Well, I tell people all the time, it's, it's a, the fact that
2: they – want you to come back i feel like most guys when they're done it's like oh geez they want to come back and they want this and they want that and you know the fact that i get texts from larry or joe or emails and say hey you know can you be available for this um that they still want you to be a part and involved in it is awesome for us um you know there's a lot like with my kids my kids missed out on my whole playing time you know so um they still get to see that I'm connected and kind of what I got to do. And they get to be involved in some of that, you know, like some of the stuff we get to bring like opening day, they get to come and be a part of it. And sometimes I wish they wouldn't. And we know (laughs) we could go sit out in the, in the bleachers one time and, um, you know, but have the experience that I had growing up, but it's, um, it's, it's really cool to be, you know, thought of as somebody that they still want to involve, still want to help represent the organization. Um, you know, and, and I, I enjoy that type of stuff i enjoy you know coming back and meeting new people um you know it's helped our charity for a ton for just connections and um introductions to, to different you know groups of people and um so for me it's it, you know it's great to still you know get to come down put the uniform on in a way that's you know i feel like it, it's it's uh, every time i come down you know i walk around and the ushers are still you know stop me and say hello and you know know your name and know your kids names and um just the whole experience it, it makes you feel like You know, you're still really a part of the family instead of like, hey, you were you we really cared about you for the five years you were here. And then, you know, now we're on to somebody else and we don't really care if you come or go. Um, You know, it's always I mean, I can reach out to Larry. We had a a couple of weeks ago, I reached out and said, hey, is there a way I can get tickets for tomorrow? We had a special thing come up and absolutely. We'll you know, we'll take care of it. And um, it's just really nice to be a note. Leave your ticket.
3: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> could you Could you envision though originally that the relationships you've built through some of the alumni programming would have had the impact? No. No pun intended. Yeah. On your On your current situation and what you're What you and Bridget are doing.
2: You know, I I don't think you ever. I just think it just naturally you know happened. Like I think you meet people like like minded people and you just happen to get put in a way where they get to know you. You know the the hard thing in in the networking space and. You know a lot of the corporate people we've met and things that, like everybody's trying to get to you mm-hmm. you know and that's from the player standpoint from a business standpoint and so sometimes when you just come together and you just naturally create those relationships those are the best ones right they're not forced they're not you know they're not uh, on the surface and uh and so now i mean it's been you know great and the the great thing is i mean it doesn't benefit me you know i mean it, yeah. it benefits a lot of people that that we get to help right. um and doesn't benefit the the people that you know, support us on that. It, they right. they understand what they're doing, There's but a um, greater cause. Right? Yeah, but it's yeah. it's been you know it's just been um, awesome to to kind of meet people on that level and you know have that exposure to people. And then we just happen to have an avenue and platform that you know allows us to you know I always say in in the fundraising side of of, of our foundation, you know I, I leverage relationships in a healthy way uh, to make a difference for other people. You know you don't you don't take advantage of them. You don't um, you know try to um, over leverage them, you know, you just kind of, uh, let them happen and then, you know, produce a good outcome and that those relationships continue to grow. So no, it's been, it's been fantastic and, um, just keeps you in, in relevant, you know, keeps you relevant, keeps you involved. And, um, you know, a lot of benefits come with that.
1: You guys do great work with the uh, brace for impact, which is what you're talking about. Your, your charity group in Haiti and then in North St. Louis mm-hmm. as well. If people want to learn more about that, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't give them the opportunity just to give us a little bit about what you guys do and where they can go for more.
2: Yeah, so we're community development. We started in Haiti, actually Adam Wainwright uh, invited my wife and I on a trip in 2014 to go see some stuff him and Jenny were involved with and uh, we fell in love when we were down there. We were looking for an opportunity here in St. Louis and just having a hard time finding our fit. Um, And I think the reason was we didn't know who we were um, and what exactly we were looking for. And we went to Haiti, we we found that. Um, We found that local leadership that we get to support. And um, so we have uh, a very large community development project in Haiti, and that's Adam and Jenny are involved with it. We have another partner uh, that's involved. He's a chaplain for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, And the three of us just kind of spearheaded, and we have a children's home with 40 kids. We have a school that now has over 400 students, started with like 50. (laughs) Um, We have a high school we're building right now, so we're going to expand that number even more. We have a feeding program that we feed the kids every day at school, give them meals on the weekends. Uh, cause we, we realized they weren't eating on the weekends and they come in on Mondays and be really struggling. And so now we've taken care of that. Uh, we have a hospital, the kid that grew up in our children's home, uh, became a doctor, runs this hospital. Um, we have water and sanitation that Adam and his foundation have done a lot with. We have vocational school. So we, we touch about 40,000 people a day in Haiti, um, through that. And then two years after Haiti, we came back, <clears throat> my wife and I said, we have to have a St. Louis side to things. And uh, so we've taken the same model, uh, finding local leaders and supporting them and elevating their platform and, and allow them to do it. Um, and we have a great partner down there in, in North city that's doing just incredible stuff. Um, and we support them on a housing side where, where they, they purchase and renovate, uh, a lot of homes in really bad shape and, um, bring them back to their original beauty. Some built, uh, I think our oldest is like 1896, mm-hmm. uh, bring it back, fully restore it. And, uh, and then place families in it work with those families to help stabilize them and, and get them onto a good into to uh, a good future. And so it's just been awesome to see there, you know, they he's taken and expanded that even more. Mercy has a clinic down there now for the first time ever in the, in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many services now that are becoming available to people in, in that community. It's been awesome. So um, it's been a fun ride. It's been a lot. I mean, it's 90% of what I do. Um, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't make any money on it. I, um, I'm a, i am I call myself the chief volunteer, <laughs> but I get to wake up every day and, and help direct an organization that, you know, Makes a big difference locally and internationally, and it's been really fun to see it grow and see our our people that we support, our leadership team, see them grow. Um, It's not us, we're not calling all the shots, we're not telling them what to do. We just, you know, support them and and their vision and and their knowledge of their community and their people, and it's been a lot of fun.
3: It's incredible what's happened in eight years. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah.
2: Yeah. When we went down there, there was the children's home had one level, and that was it. And they were like, Here's our vision, and we were like, Yeah. Good luck, you know, and then here we are eight <laughs> years later, and it's like, you know, I tell people all the time on our trips when we go down there, I said, it's it's hard. You know, at first it was a tough sell. We'd sit there at night and say, well, this is what they want to do, and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't even know. And now you go down there, and people are like, this is amazing. Like, from day one, people are happy and cheery on our trips. I'm like, this is, what's going on? This this And I noticed that shift was when all of a sudden the school was there, the hospital was there, the, the, the children's home had been expanded, like, We had done a lot of that stuff that now it's easy for people to see the vision. But early on, man, all they could see was the problems and the headaches and the money. And, you know, and it's it's been uh, you have the built in testimonials. now. Yeah. 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 A lot of them. Yeah. It's been fun. It's incredible. This
0: episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Well, I want to end on this. You actually are a franchise leader in something. It's my favorite comic-con story. You are the franchise leader in fruit snacks eaten. Yep.
2: <laughs> well, I'm tied. <laughs>
1: Well, that's true. You I are tied, tied, tied for first. I love Who's this. keeping these statistics?
2: <laughs> Kyle. <Okay. laughs> that's the only thing I lead the franchise in. We got to find. There's got to be something. More. We got to get a, the folks at the museum. I didn't, them I didn't strike him <laughs> out. I didn't strike <laughs> <them> out. <laughs> I think they need a
1: display over there, actually, about <laughs> snacks consumed. Yeah. But tell us that story. Game uh, five, 2011 NLDS. Everybody knows uh, Halliday and Carpenter. We know how it ended. But yeah, how did you spend that game?
2: Well, I was on the I was on uh, it was the DS, so I was not on the roster. I was dealing with a shoulder uh injury at the time. And You threw a little bit you threw a little bit that year. I threw a few. <laughs> um and and yeah. So we're on the bench and in the locker room in the in the in the uh, food room there they had fruit snacks. And so I went in and got fruit snacks. Well, Adam Wainwright was also nursing Tommy John that year. Mm-hmm. And so we were hanging out in the dugout. And so as a good young player and a friend, I got fruit snacks for myself and I brought Adam some fruit snacks. And when I brought him the fruit snacks, we started winning. So I guess it probably was the first inning. I don't know if that was the game that started it. We got to run in the first, right? Yeah, either way, if it was that game or another game, I don't know, but as soon as we opened the fruit snacks, we started winning. And so Adam was like, these are magic fruit snacks. And so the whole playoffs, we had – anywhere we went, we had to make sure there was fruit snacks. And I ate so many fruit snacks throughout the entire playoffs. And we just – like, I remember bringing them out to Adam and his – eye like he would roll his eyes and slouch his head and he would stick his hand out because he knew we had to do it. And we consumed probably a pallet of fruit snacks during that run.
0: You should have had it on the World Series ring, the fruit snack.
2: No. Right next to the squirrel. Yeah. How do we not have a fruit
3: snacks partner here at Bush Stadium? That's a category you need to work on for us.
2: Yeah. I don't even, and I still, somehow I still like fruit snacks, but. It's because you have two small man. children in your home. Yeah.
1: That is amazing. But it was
2: still eating them. Adam, Adam, Adam somebody His asked question. him about it on a, uh, was it Cameo or whatever, where they do the thing. I think somebody asked him about it. He, he said, tell us a story about the World Series that nobody would know. And he was like, I'm going to tell you, me and Kyle McClellan ate so many fruit <laughs> snacks. Um, so he's told that story a few times, so kind of nice that i wasn't the only one that remembered it but that was our contribution man Was that were... me the dietary guidelines in the no. house now or not no, no. Not. adam's adam doesn't he's like an empty pit man he, he can eat whatever
3: yeah yeah
1: we, we were on the plane he's on the
3: tom brady thing now isn't
1: he i don't know <laughs> i thought he had cut up yeah he went he's... through some kind of cleanse or something i don't know where he's at now we were on the but... plane we had a we had a
2: guy the dietary guy came in and he he took over all our stuff in the kitchen and adam was like man like, I just want some of my things, you know? And he wouldn't give it <laughs> to them to him. And so then they came, and then they took the stuff on the plane. So, like – and he was like, that's where I draw the line. Like, I want my potato chips – and I want my Milky Way he and I want his, my soda. He wants his Chick fil A on, on, on the plane. Right. And so that was like, that's where he drew the line. He was like, you cannot come on my plane and take <laughs> our stuff that we're eating at three o'clock in the morning when we're flying from city to city. And so he went, and then we started to like get some healthy chip alternatives that, that we could have. But he was like, they drove him nuts.
1: Well, there's going to be a lot more great stories like this on a new podcast that you're hosting for us. Uh, release date is TBD, but it's called The Chatter's Box. Mm-hmm. Uh, Play on Batter's Box. We mm-hmm. think it's a pretty fun name. Just uh, exciting that you're going to be doing that for us. Tell us a little about um, just some of the things that are floating out there that you're excited to maybe get into in a broad sense.
2: Yeah. So uh, this is something that, you know, I've talked to a couple people about, you know, I've done uh, pregame stuff for Camo X um, and. I enjoy that you know I mean it's good but over 162 games you end up saying the same thing well pitchers got to keep the ball down they need to get ahead they need to throw strikes hitters we need to score more runs than the other team need to play solid defense you know like I don't know what else there is to say in a pregame
3: Lord and, willing everything's gonna work out right right yeah
2: <laughs> and if you lose you you know you show up tomorrow and you know you, you just keep going um and, and so I was telling a couple of the people, like, man, I'd really like to dive a little bit deeper. Um, I did an interview with Adam and Yachty a couple years ago um, that I tried to get for three years in spring training, and I finally got it, and it and it, um, it was incredible. I've never seen those two be interviewed together. And you very rarely see Yachty ever interviewed, especially in English. Um, and so I just thought, I was like, man, this is something I want to get, not, not only for my own sake, but, like, from a historical standpoint, these two need to be interviewed. And so I was explaining that to some of the people here with the Cardinals, like there's some things here that I think, especially in today's world, need to be documented and need to be for 200 years from now to be able to, you know, pull these out. And so, um, you know, the Cardinals said for two years, I haven't done um, anything, you know, on the pregame stuff because of COVID. And so they say, hey, we're gonna bring it back this year and it's gonna be a podcast. Um, and so i'm excited about it because as a kid growing up here uh there, and there's a, i, I want to take a, a historical look at this you know from we're going to start off with the current team you know because i think that's always important and kind of we're going to have to drum up some some interest and, and get some some following for this but once we do that you know the 82 team is their 40-year reunion this year i wasn't alive in 82 so the, you missed I, a good one yeah so so, I, for me to like go back and do some of that research and find out some of those stories, like I know the '82 team won, and I know some of the guys that were on the team. And but there's, I looked up the roster. I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of guys I didn't know were on the team. You know, there's just a lot about that I wanna, I wanna kind of bring out, and I wanna learn a little bit. But I know there's, I mean, I'm 37 years old. I know there's a, a large amount of people out there that are in the same boat I am, and trying to connect those generations of Cardinals fans is really um, what I'm, I'm looking to do, and. Um, there's just so much history and stories in the organization that I just want to make sure it gets documented and told. And so we're gonna start out small. You know, we're gonna start out with uh, with just this season and see how it goes. But we have a lot of plans for you know other areas and ways we can take it. And uh, Martin Coco, who actually you know works for the Cardinals, I was talking to him at, a, at an event we had. Him and his wife were there, and and we were talking about I was doing the podcast, and he said he, I think this is a great example of kind of the the ideal situation. He said, "Man, I'm a huge Arkansas fan." And to be honest with you, I haven't watched Arkansas, you know, in a in a while. And but I started listening to this podcast. And they started, you know, with talking about the things that really stood out to me and like struck a core with me and, and it took me back to my childhood and when I really grew up, you know, loving Arkansas and and he said, and then they started sprinkling in some of the new stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I find myself watching Arkansas games now, you know, and falling back in love with uh, you know Arkansas and in the sports side and and so I think that's kind of what I'm I'm shooting for. You know, there's going to be some things we're going to talk about that maybe you know 20 year olds aren't going to care about, but it's going to really be something that 60 70 year olds are going to be like, oh man, that is that's my generation of baseball there that that we grew up watching and 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 vice versa. You know, we're going to do, do some of the current guys, some of the older guys, and um, it's a generational sport like no other. Yeah, yeah. well, and it connects families, it right? Does, I mean, right. you you see so many women that are huge Cardinals fans because their dad took them to Cardinal games. That was their connection growing up or their mom took them to Cardinal games. Or um, I mean, we see that all the time with the alumni stuff and fantasy right. camp. And exactly. um, it, it is what connects so many families. Um, and and so there's just so many stories out there, especially of a, of an unbelievable generation that unfortunately is becoming less and less able to to, to reach out to and to connect with um, that wasn't documented that well, you know, like I think about Bob Gibson and when I see anything about Bob Gibson, I see the same couple highlights, right? I mean, there's so much more to Bob Gibson and what he did. And, and I just think having this, um, the ability to sit down and document this for 200 years and for the Cardinal, you know, museum and, and just whatever I think would be, you know, I hope that this is beneficial for a lot of people and for a long time. And, um, you know, that we can get some guys to sit down and really pull some stuff out of them. And does it's not going to all be, um, you know, 100% baseball. Like, I, I want to talk to Albert about his early days in the Dominican and what that is like. I mean, he's one of the most successful Dominican players ever, um, and I think that means a whole lot to him, you know, and he's so proud of the Dominican and where he comes from and, and does so much with his charity back there that offer him the opportunity to talk about that. You know, maybe he doesn't want to talk about it. I don't know. But we'll find out, mm-hmm. you know, and if he does, it, it needs to be told because I'll tell you before I went to rookie ball, I didn't know the first thing about Dominican Republic and that baseball was being played there like it was, you know, and then you realize real quick, like, man, these guys are This is a totally different path of baseball for these kids and what they've been going through than what we have. And we're in the same locker room now, you know, trying to achieve the same goal. So there's just a lot of experiences. And I think I, I bring a unique perspective to it of to be able to sit down with these guys, even if I didn't play with them, that. I went through a lot of the same stuff they went through. And, um, you know, I think when you're, when you're sitting there talking with somebody, I think that that comes out. So I'm excited about it. I hope it, you know, goes well and continues. Um, and then we can dive into more and more and more as we go. But, um, it, it's a big, you know, honestly, when you talk about like an official podcast of the St. Louis Cardinals and then they're like, Hey, we're going to give it to you to take it and run with. Like, that's a, that's a big responsibility. Um, but I'm excited. We got a, a great cast to help, you know, support it, and and I think we can really make it into something that that you know, Cardinal fans are crazy, right? Um, they're craving content, and I think this is something that's going to be, you know, something that a lot of people are going to really pay attention to and get involved with.
1: It's going to be awesome. Again, the name of the show is the Chatters Box. Uh, not an official release date yet, but coming sometime here in 2022. Cardinals.com/slash/podcast is where you can check it out. It'll also be available uh, anywhere that this show is, which is pretty much. Anywhere that you get your podcast, you hear that phrase a lot. So uh, Joe Pfeiffer, Larry State, Emily Stevens, and Travis Hawkins were on our cameras today on the YouTube version. Kyle, man, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun, and uh, I think there's a, a lot more we could even dig into. We'll have you back sometime <laughs> and, and do it again. Yep. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate thanks, it. My yep. Thanks. That's it for this edition of the Cardinals Insider Podcast. We'll talk to you next month from here at Bush Stadium.